1: This is an MPB Think Radio podcast.
2: This is Southern Remedy on MPB Think Radio. I'm Dr. Jimmy Stewart, Professor of Internal Medicine and Pediatrics at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. We're going to be taking your calls this hour concerning any issues or topics that you need answered. We're going to have some updates on COVID-19, uh, particularly related to some uh, questions that you might have, but do want to give all of you an opportunity to call in with any kind of healthcare question that you might have about yourself or maybe it's somebody else in your family. The number to call is one mpb ring That's one 672 7464 Or maybe you can't call right now. You can always send an email to remedy at mpbonline.org. Good morning, Kevin. How are you?
1: doing well dr jimmy thanks again for doing this and again we will remind folks that uh, dr jimmy's calling in via skype so that we are practicing proper social distancing staying uh, uh, far enough away from each other as we possibly can uh, and i would like to reiterate what uh, dr jimmy just said is you know we know the coronavirus and covid-19 is on everyone's mind but that doesn't mean that our other medical concerns just automatically vanish so if you have just a general medical question that you need answered please feel free to call and again any questions that you have about the ongoing pandemic we're we're, helped to, uh, we're here to answer those as well. Having said that, Dr. Jimmy, I do have something that I wanted to ask about, and I'm a little bit confused. I do try to keep up with the news and, you know, uh, the medical news and the news about the, the pandemic and the virus. Uh, and uh, I saw something on Facebook the other day that said everybody should be wearing masks. And actually, Dr. Fauci on the news last night said that once we get over the uh, the shortage of masks, that he would recommend that everyone do wear a mask when they go out in public. Now, I know there are two sort of different kinds of masks but the whole thing has me a little bit confused. So if you could give us maybe the the mask 101.
2: Sure. Sure. The mask uh, answer, I guess, here. <laughs> so, uh, you know, in, in answering that question about whether or not you need to be wearing a mask in public, certainly I've seen that. We've seen pictures of that. We know in different parts of the world that's sort of the norm when a lot of people go outside. But you have to understand a little bit about the differences in masks and what they're designed for. And really, this is there's sort of a hierarchy of controls of infectious disease. So you can do things like, you know, if if there are individuals that have a uh, a a disease, you want to uh, try to eliminate their contact with different people. That's what we're doing with social distancing, substitute different things if that's causing uh, transmission. But really, this gets into protective personal equipment. So it's it's the environment that somebody practices in and. If you're gonna be in contact with people, a mask is one piece of protective personal equipment. Now we use that term in healthcare quite a bit because that helps all of our healthcare workers try to decrease their risk individually of contracting an illness like a virus or a bacteria. And then there's different types of situations that you would use different parts of equipment. So a mask is one part of that equipment, but it's not the only thing. Uh, Certainly there are things like face shields and goggles, uh, gloves, gowns, all kinds of different things that we use in different situations to try to limit the uh, transmission of different things. One common area that we do this in day in and day out is the surgical arena. So anytime somebody has surgery, we try to have a sterile environment as much as possible in there uh, in those surgical suites. So so if we look at just masks, though, there's several different things that go along with masks. One mask is not going to do what another one does. They're designed for different things, and they're designed to protect the individual. And sometimes they're designed to help decrease the transmission from whoever is wearing the mask to somebody else. So... There's all kinds of different things that go into that. So you really need a medical evaluation of the person that's going to be wearing that to know exactly what's going to be best for them. And then for certain types of masks, particularly the ones that everybody's seeing in the news right now, the N95 mask, there's fit testing. So you can't just put that mask on and you, you really need to know a little bit about and have it properly fit tested to make sure that it's the right size for that individual. It's not a one size fits all with those masks. And these are different than the one, sort of the surgical masks that you see uh, that fit loosely around the face. That allows air to get in and around those. The N95 mask and other protective equipment has much more of a tight seal around the face to try to decrease the amount of uh, exposure that somebody has. And then there's training on that. So. Even if you're wearing an N95 mask uh, for the general public, there's a lot of training that they're not getting about proper use and uh, disposal of those. So you can have all the the correct uh, personal protective equipment, but when you take that off, if you're not doing that, if you haven't been trained in how to take that off, I know that sounds sort of silly, but if there are particles on the exterior of that mask and you touch it, now you've contaminated your fingers with that, and if you immediately put your finger up to your eye and scratch it, or in your nose or mouth, then you've uh, you've passed that material on to those areas. Now there's lots of different masks, as Kevin alluded to. There's the surgical mask. Even people are even making masks out of different things. But the N95 and others, there's N99, N100. Uh, there's all kinds of different uh, masks out there in industry. Some of them are are designed more to uh, decrease the uh, transmission of oil-based materials. Those are the P and the R type masks. All of these masks are designed for a very specific situation. So that's why it's not recommended for the general public to use those N95 masks. And we're in short supply, so we're going to need those. We're going to need millions, tens of millions of those. We use those anyway uh, during a normal, uh, particularly winter season, for dealing with things like influenza in the hospital or tuberculosis, things that are transmitted with uh, particle sizes or that are in the air. Now, I know a lot of people are saying, well, why can't we just, if we all wear wore a mask, wouldn't we decrease the transmission? The surgical masks that you see or even the homemade masks are not really going to protect you if you're in close proximity with somebody for, with COVID-19, just because, again, it's not snug up against the face. The material is not such that can filter out those particles. Incidentally, the number afterwards is a general, uh, that is a, a laboratory derived value of the amount of particles, small particles that it will filter out. So N95 means it's going to filter out 95% of aerosolized particles. N99 would be 99%. N100, it's not 100% particles, it's about 99.7, but that that's what the number means after that. Uh, but because of shortages we really need to conserve those N95 masks for uh, the healthcare population. Now, there is a hierarchy. If you get low enough, then the standards that you go by need to be adjusted. Uh, some protection is better than no protection. And unfortunately in some areas, if we do get down, and we're already seeing this in some areas, if we get down to the bare minimum, or we don't have enough supplies, then we have to go sort of in from a contingency to a crisis mode where we're going to say, okay, these things may not protect us. I I think if we, in a perfect world uh, for individuals walking around, that would be great. It's important to note, though, that it's not, that mask is not going to protect you from getting something from somebody else. It's if you have COVID-19 and you're wearing that mask, it will decrease somebody else from getting it. Uh, so that's why we put these on patients in the hospital in rooms. You may see this on social media. A lot of people have these surgical masks on. And that, again, that's not going to 100% decrease the amount of that in the air. All the healthcare workers taking care of that patient are going to have those N95 masks, uh, goggles or a face shield, gloves and gown, and disposing of that in the proper way in the room. Yeah. But that's mainly to decrease the amount that the patient who has COVID 19 is able to transmit in coughing, sneezing, uh, forceful laughing. You know, there's been uh, lots of different studies on what you can produce in the air. And, again, that's that six-foot distance of those particles is about the drop-off. Uh, this does not protect you from uh, those droplets that may land on hard surfaces. So, you know, I think we, we've discussed in, on previous programs Uh, sort of the times that things um, are uh, have been noted to stay on hard surfaces so copper four hours cardboard 24 hours and then plastic or stainless steel about three days but you have to clean those surfaces and soap and water works fine Uh, but those things a mask is not going to protect you if you touch those surfaces and then touch your mouth
1: This is Malcolm White with the Mississippi Arts Commission. I'm one of the hosts of the Mississippi Arts Hour, the arts interview show on Think Radio. Every week, myself or one of my fellow hosts bring you in-depth interviews with different creative Mississippians. We talk with visual artists, musicians, writers, as well as people who help bring the arts to their communities. We hear about how each artist learned their craft and get some insight into their creative process. You can hear the arts hour every Sunday at 5 p.m. on Think Radio, or listen anytime by subscribing to the show through your favorite podcast app. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast.
2: This is Sun on MPB Think Radio. And I'm Dr. Jimmy with you this morning, protecting your calls. And realizing that COVID nineteen is high up on everybody's priorities, that goes along any other health care issues. Want to ask any questions about? We will uh, be glad to take those today.
1: All right, uh, Doctor Jimmy. Just a, a quick follow up. We were talking about masks uh, before the break. Um, so I guess that Dr. Fauci suggesting that uh, maybe when we go out in public, if the supply is large enough that we all wear them, that would again, as you suggested, uh, would be if someone is maybe has been infected but is asymptomatic, it would help prevent them spreading germs around to other people, maybe at Kroger, the you know when you're out and about.
2: Yeah, that it's exactly right. So the surgical masks that you see that had the little ties on them, the, not the ones that had the elastic. And again, it has to be that that an N95 mask is fairly rigid. It has a nasal piece that's a little metal bar that can be uh, crimped down. It has to be fit tested. But the masks that you see people wearing most uh, commonly, those are if if a person, if we had enough and everybody wore them, uh, that would decrease at least a little bit. Anybody who had COVID-19, whether they had symptoms or not had symptoms, of course, if they have symptoms, they probably should be staying home until they get well and not being outside. Uh, but, uh, yeah, that would that would at least decrease that a little bit. Um, and the other thing is, you know, like how long do these masks last or how can you reuse them? Uh, you know, it, again, in a perfect world, it'd be best after you use that, you throw it away. Now, if you're using it yourself to help decrease the transmission rate to somebody else, Uh, you know, once a day probably would be fine. Um, now the N95 masks cannot be reused. So, uh, if you think about it, if you're exposed and then you go to a different room, there is a chance of, you know, having that, uh, having that contamination sort of cross pollinate. if you're a healthcare worker. Uh, there have been some studies and there's a lot of work going on right now to try to extend the life of those so that you can, uh, you can disinfect those. There's uh, one project that I know of using aerosolized hydrogen peroxide uh, that might could extend the life. The other thing about those N95 masks is they don't last forever. So they have a shelf life of about five to six years. And this is because the that elastic band breaks down over time. You don't want that popping off if you're in the you know close proximity taking care of somebody. And then the actual fibers in the mask that help filter out things, uh, those can break down as well. So... Uh it, it has that printed on the surface of those. But the surgical mask, of course, that's just something that you would wear just for that one procedure uh or or you know a shorter length of time.
1: All right. Uh we've got some open phone lines. If you have a question for Dr. Jimmy, either about the coronavirus and COVID nineteen or your health in general, the number to call is one eight seven seven MPB ring. It's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four you can email the show as well. Send it to remedy at mpbonline.org. You know, Dr. Jimmy, I think some of this information is, might be repeated, but I think it helps to on um, the important stuff to kind of keep repeating the information so that people understand what the situation is. The thing that I was a little bit confused about uh, is testing, because we've heard in the news that there are more tests being made, that there are more test centers. I know UMC has that mobile testing lab in the Jackson area. Uh, but what are the guidelines for testing? Again, if I understand correctly... If you don't have symptoms, you're not being encouraged at this time to get a test.
2: Yeah, that's correct, Kevin. So there's sort of a priority system about this. And and this is you know, part of the frustration, anything like this, and not, not just for the general public, but for healthcare professionals, is that things change over time as we get more information out. This is not something that's happened uh, worldwide for at least, you know, uh, really since 1957, if you look at the flu epidemic then. We've had some smaller epidemics but certainly not a pandemic as widespread as this. So there are priorities with, of testing as you uh, that are related to the availability of testing, uh, to the population that you're testing in. Why are you using the test? And we've shifted a little bit over time, uh, and the most recent guidelines are, are to have a priority system. So priority one, the people that absolutely need to get tested, if you have hospitalized patients with symptoms, and those symptoms, again, being um, being a fever over 100.4, a cough, and shortness of breath. So those patients who are in the hospital, they definitely need to be, be tested, both for their own safety to understand what, what's causing their symptoms uh, and to isolate them from other patients uh, to have proper isolation and infection control procedures. And then the other uh, group in that first priority would be uh, symptomatic healthcare workers, not asymptomatic. Even if you've been in contact with somebody who's had COVID-19, we're not recommending right now, if you're a healthcare worker, that you be tested. We just, we simply don't have the testing mechanisms uh, for the, for that uh, currently. Um, so if you're, if you do develop symptoms and you're a healthcare worker, again, we'd want to make sure that we test you and quarantine that person uh, outside of that healthcare facility until we have the results back. Or, if they, uh, or until their symptoms abate. The second priority tier is really, you know, patients in long-term facilities with symptoms. So that would be things like nursing homes, uh, swing bed uh, in hospitals, any kind of patient that's in a a long-term facility with those symptoms needs to be tested. And those greater than 65 years old with symptoms, uh, people who have underlying chronic medical conditions like diabetes, hypertension, with symptoms, and then first responders with symptoms. So our EMT force, our um, our police force, our uh, fire department, all of those uh, individuals with symptoms. So you see this, this theme of symptoms uh, going on here. The, the third priority, the lowest priority, would be the critical infrastructure workers with symptoms, individuals with symptoms in the general population, uh, healthcare workers and first responders in certain situations where you have such a High prevalence and the workforce demands are really uh, being challenged. This would be places like New York, some places in Washington state, where it would make sense to contain this even further just to test everybody in those small population areas. Or an individual with mild symptoms in communities that have an increased uh, COVID 19 hospitalization. So if you've got a lot of people in your hospital and it is to the maximum capacity, and you wanna test that general population that that hospital draws from for uh, hospitalized patients, that might make sense, again, if you have enough testing that you do that. So if you've been, even if you've been in contact with somebody who's tested positive, it's not recommended right now that you be tested. You should still, of course, be uh, following those recommendations of social distancing, hand washing, making sure you're not touching your face too much, making sure that you're really washing your hands and surfaces, they're in contact. Those individuals that are positive should be in the same room in the house, have a uh, ideally a dedicated bathroom. Uh, when other people are around, th- the person who has COVID-19 should wear, again, that mask to help uh, decrease the prevention uh, spread of that. So no symptoms. We're not recommending that. You know I had a lot of patients call in, some of my patients say, "Hey, should I get tested?" Uh, it's not really recommended if you don't have those symptoms right now. We may, and again, that may change as time goes on in certain areas, but right now that's not recommended.
1: All right. Very good. Looks like we got a couple of callers on the line. So we're going to start with uh, Mary Jane, who's called in from Tupelo. Mary Jane, you're on the air. Go ahead. All
0: right. My question this morning is at first, thank you for doing this. I really appreciate it. It's very helpful. Um, I am in that pop in that population that is staying home i'm over 65 a lot of my friends are making uh, those of us who sew are making cloth masks there are just lots of um, patterns out there and instructions on youtube in various places and i wanted to know what value those cloth masks the double cloth masks that you can insert a coffee filter or an extra layer of fabric um, the 100% cotton, tightly woven like quilting fabric. Uh, are those of value to the general public?
2: It, yeah, it might be of value to the general public and somebody who has COVID 19 or they think they might have it and wearing that. And again, it's not so that it's not to protect the person wearing that from getting it because even all the things you said, those are all things that it could it could decrease transmission through that mask to your nasal passages, to your oral uh, secretions. um, It's not, you really can't get a good fit with that. Uh, So it has to be no room all the way around where that fits. And, you know, even for people like with facial hair in the hospital, they can't use those masks because they're not specific enough to, uh, not tight enough around the beard or other facial hair that they might have to um, to prevent that, that those, bi- those small particles uh, to come in and around that mask. So I would say that, you know, I, I think this is a great idea for people to do something, you know, to do something that might help people. I, I think more for the general public, if you want to decrease your risk of transmitting that to somebody else, that's fine. It may decrease your risk a little bit of uh, transmitting that from somebody else. But the most powerful thing is keeping about six feet away from people, particularly outside. It's fine. It's a lot more concerns about it being outside, uh, inside, outside six feet. You should be fine. I know a lot of people have said, I don't want to get outside. I just want to stay at home. You know, in Mississippi, one of the, the positives, I think, is you can most places get outside and walk around uh, as long as you're not coming into contact with people or surfaces. That's probably OK. It's probably good for you to do that. Particularly with the weather we're having right now. But I, I wouldn't dissuade people from making masks like that. I think that's okay. But they should understand that's not going to take the place of the masks that we have for healthcare workers just because those haven't been fit tested. They're not specifically made to decrease somebody from getting that. It's more if you have the virus, if you're asymptomatic and you have it, or if you have symptoms that possibly could take the place if you don't have access to those other masks.
1: All right, the next caller we have is D, who's called in from Jackson. Go ahead, Dee, you're on the air.
0: Good morning everybody. How are Good morning. Y'all? Okay. Uh I have two beautiful daughters, wonderful gifts from God. Uh one works at Walmart and the other is a nurse. And you know, both of those professions are really overlooked. But uh, I called Walmart's corporate last week, and I asked them. I said, "What are you all going to do to protect your workers? Because they're they're on the front line all the time." Right. Right. And so I heard on, I heard on NPR yesterday that they're gonna Walmart's gonna be doing some things uh, for the workers. Um, and my daughter, who's a nurse, like one one day her unit regular patients, the very next day coronavirus unit. They don't have the proper PPE. They have to wear the same old mask all day long. There are no shoe covers, regular scrubs, thin gloves, uh, no goggles, face shields, or anything. They have to provide their own scrubs. Um, not only do they have to be a nurse to take care of the patients, they were informed that they have to be janitors and cafeteria workers as well. They were given four dollars hazardous pay extra, but that was for a short time that was taken away from them yesterday uh my I mean both of my daughters have children uh, and you know they could potentially bring this virus home to their children uh, I mean, more should be done, and you know when this is all over, um uh, people should respect and honor these these cashiers and the servers uh. Nurses, because I know firefighters and police officers, they get their recognition, Uh but, you know, nurses, all those other people should should get recognition, too, and discounts If they can go. if They go to Captain D's or something. They can't even get a discount. But the police officers and firefighters can't, uh, you know, get a house. Uh, they can probably get a discount, but not the nurses, uh, the cashiers. I mean, it's just not fair they're all on the yeah, front just, line and everybody should be appreciated. And I just, just wanted to, you know, to just dance because this is not fair.
2: <laughs> yeah, I agree. I, I, so you brought up a lot of the, the challenges. Uh, first of all, let me say uh, I, I have the utmost respect for nurses. I work with nurses day in and day out. Um, they deal directly. They have more patient contact than physicians do. Um, they put up with a lot that i Just about every nurse that I work with, um, they will do things that aren't in their job description because they care about patients. They will go over and above the line of duty to take care of their patients, and they should be protected. And anybody who comes into contact with somebody who even might have COVID-19, we should have protections. I know a lot of physicians out there are advocating for that. I would advocate for that. Um, I... And again, another group that we didn't mention that I do want to mention is our maintenance personnel. So in our hospitals and in our clinics, there are a lot of people that are having to, you know, day in and day out clean rooms. They're getting exposed to this or at least a potential exposure to that. So they're putting their lives out on the line to do what they do day in and day out. And we could not do that without them. It really is a team approach um, uh, for everything. So a uh, couple of things that I wanted to say. So I think what we're seeing is the challenges to a healthcare system with overwhelming patients, uh, patient loads. Uh, this is what you see in any situation where your demand outstrips your supply of either personal protective equipment, even rooms in hospitals. Um, these are things that you can't totally prepare for, but you can prepare. I think there's going to be a lot of changes uh, in the future. Based on what we've learned, we're going to learn from this, and what we're learning from this right now. There's already been a lot of uh, a a lot of uh, medical literature that's been being produced about that, and not just on how you treat patients, but the systems approach to that. How do you do that in large corporations like Walmart? Um, So I, you know, I don't have any solutions for this really. I think we have to be creative in situations where we don't have access to all those things. Um, you mentioned, you know, like bringing that home. There are some things you can do. The scr- I know a lot of people are, you know, wearing their scrubs to work and normally they would come home. There's a lot of people that are, uh, you know, changing into scrubs when they get to work and then um, uh, leaving those scrubs there uh, as much as possible and, and uh, cleaning them either there in the hospital or bringing them back home separately in some bags to clean those uh, and then changing before they come back home. Of course, hand washing, all those things that we talked about would be something that you would want to do to help decrease the spread of that uh, uh, coming back home. But I don't want to, you know, I, I would hate to, to uh, uh, just point fingers and identify any one individual. I think one thing, if, if we're going to really beat this and do it well, to decrease the amount of people who have COVID-19 and also, in, most importantly, to decrease the number of people who die from COVID-19, we're going to have to take a common approach to really think about this in the same way that our grandfathers and great-grandfathers did in uh, world wars and the way that the health system responded to epidemics in the past. I think we really need to think that way and come together on it. And certainly there are a lot of areas that we're going to see that are going to not have the equipment that they need, not have the resources that they need, particularly in Mississippi, we're challenged with resources and healthcare as it is, uh, and in other areas. Uh, But one thing I know about Mississippians is we pull together in a crisis. And that's the thing that we need to do right now is all focus on what we can do, whether it's something as simple as hand washing, social distancing, all those are small, powerful things that we can do to help fight this together.
1: This is an MPB Think Radio podcast.
2: This is Sun Remedy on MPB Think Radio. Dr. Jimmy with you live this morning, answering your questions about COVID-19 and other healthcare questions that you might have about yourself or family members or friends you can uh, call us this morning at one eight seven seven MPB ring. That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. Let's go to William in Greenwood. Good morning, William.
0: Oh, <clears throat> hi, that is Jimmy. Uh, when this stuff first start came out, they said don't wear a mask. Well, now yesterday or the day before, they said, you know what? You're going to go get you a mask. Well, there are none available that I can find, and uh, only I've seen some people wear it a few. They said everyone's been laying around in the house. So I was wondering, how can I find me a mask? Uh, maybe the health department or what could I do? But,
2: you know, it doesn't make sense. It, it could help prevent you getting something coming into your mouth and
0: your area there.
2: Well, yeah, William, those masks aren't designed to do that. Uh, now, and I'll give you a good example. Even before COVID-19 came around, in, if you uh, were a surgeon or a nurse in surgery, a surgical nurse, and you go in to do a surgery on a patient, uh, they wear those same masks that you're talking about, the one with the little ties that you tie on. Uh, mm-hmm. Now, that's not to, to decrease anything that they can get from that patient. That's so that they don't give anything to the patient. So you're decreasing the amount that you're giving to the patient that you're transmitting. Mm-hmm. Now, if that patient happened to have an infectious disease, let's say COVID-19, those masks aren't protective enough to do that, and you need the other, uh, other uh, types of masks. In fact, there's, there's some that are particular. There's actually an N95 mask that's a surgical one that not only does it prevent the surgeon or the nurse or whoever's in the OR uh, to, from getting something, but also what you breathe out, it it's, uh, helps that too. To decrease that so those masks aren't going to necessarily help you uh not get the virus it's more so if you have the virus to decrease the amount that you're spreading to somebody else if you are asymptomatic if you're at home and there's there's no symptoms whatsoever there's not really any benefit from you wearing that mask at home if you're out and about there's really not a whole lot particularly if you're not going to be around anybody don't wear the mask it's not going to be useful and again, a lot of these masks, we're going to need them in the healthcare setting. So, if somebody else gets those, who's not a healthcare worker, and not going to be around patients, uh, you know, providing care for patients with COVID or other medical conditions. If somebody else is buying those masks, uh, that may deplete our supply so that healthcare workers don't have them. So, I know Dr. Fauci said that, but that's sort of if we have the the big if there is if we have supplies and you've just noticed that we don't have supplies that everybody can have those. So it's not going to really decrease your risk of getting it from somebody else. But what it would do is to help if you had it, whether you know it or not, help you not spread it to somebody else. But right now I wouldn't recommend doing that.
1: All right, William, thanks for your call. Uh, next, Dr. Jimmy, it's Becky in Itawamba County. Becky, you're on the air with us. So go ahead.
0: Good morning. Good morning. Hi. I was just calling to find out, has, is there anything that you have heard um, about whether or not Volteran, uh I mean, I, I know that they said something that was anecdotal about ibuprofen, not, not using ibuprofen with COVID-19. But do you know if there's, if there's any other evidence about any other NSAIDs or anything like that about uh, not, using, not using them?
2: Yeah. And is that the Voltarian gel? Yes. Yeah. So that would be okay. Yeah. The gel doesn't, uh, you know, it's not systemically uh, absorbed very much. So that's Voltarian gel is an NSAID. That's a non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drug. And these are used most commonly with arthritis or other conditions where you have a joint that's hurting. And you can put this gel over it and it actually penetrates down into the tissue uh, surrounding that. and It can help with pain relief. Now, NSAIDs in general, that's the big category that includes things like Advil and Motrin. it has been noticed that in some situations in patients who had COVID-19, particularly that are hospitalized, so these are going to be patients with more severe symptoms, uh, either in the, the general hospital wards or in the ICU settings, that they may have worse outcomes on that. So, but if for the general population, if they're like, oh, I need to get off my Advil or Motrin, uh so that I'm not hit harder by covid if I get it that's probably okay to continue taking that like you normally would but in specifically voltaren gel that should pose no problem just because it's not going to be uh you're not going to have that throughout the body
1: All right thank you Becky, for your call uh, next we've got uh, Francis who's called in from Meridian go ahead Francis you're on the air Yes uh
0: I have I'm over 70 I have diabetes what are
2: my specific uh, worries about that? So, so uh, age-wise, we know that, you know, individuals who get uh, COVID-19, and incidentally, it's not that you would get it, that you're more likely to get it. Uh, we've, there's been documentation of, of, you know, kids getting this, uh, infants getting this. It's just that they seem to be dealing with it a little bit better or a lot better than when you're older. So if you're older, that's an increased risk of complications should you get COVID-19. And then chronic medical conditions like diabetes. Now, we've got a lot of people in the state that have diabetes. That puts you at an increased risk, too. So what I would recommend is that, number one, you do everything that that the CDC is saying right now. If you've seen all the press conferences out of the President's Task Force, all those things, Um Those are things that you can do right now, which is stay away from people, particularly people who are sick, uh, people who are having contact. Like right now, my parents are in the same age range. Uh, I am not, uh, you know, I'm not planning on seeing them face to face, uh, at least in close proximity. Um, I'm trying to stay away just because I'm going to be at increased risk being in a healthcare situation. So trying to think about the people that you come into contact with and then the surfaces in your house, I'd probably once a day just wipe those down with a uh, with some soapy water. Uh, you can just put it in a Tupperware or a, a bucket and then uh, have you a, a washcloth in, a, uh, in that in that uh, soapy water. You rinse that and you wipe down all your surfaces. Certainly cleaning solutions would be okay. If it's an alcohol-based solution, if it's got greater than 60% alcohol content, that's probably okay. Okay. Um, so doing things like that to try to isolate your contact with other people is your best bet to decrease your risk. And then if you do develop symptoms, make sure you call your physician. Again, fever greater than 100.4 uh, cough and shortness of breath. even if it's something that you think is pretty mild, if you have those three symptoms, call your physician. There's, they're probably going to there's recommendations right now about how to, that we test patients to make sure we're not spreading it further if they had that. Uh, There's a lot of testing. Thankfully, there's a lot more um, uh, mobile testing centers and different ways to do that so that we're identifying people uh, without bringing them into clinics and bringing them into a hospital uh, unless they absolutely need to. So those would be the things, Francis, that I would do to decrease your risk. Um, But really, if you can stay away from other people right now uh, that, that might be transmitting that, that would probably be the best thing. And don't forget to contact, you know, other people. It's fine. It's great to use technology if you can do that, like FaceTime and calls, to make sure that you're connecting with people, checking in on them uh, socially, because uh, that's important. Anytime we isolate ourselves from anybody else, even for introverts, it um, it it can co- cause a lot of health problems. And then taking care of your your chronic medical conditions too. I know we've we've been ramping up here at uh, the University Medical Center about uh, are using, utilizing telehealth to check in on our patients. You know, don't put your diabetes on hiatus. You know, contact your physician's office. Make sure that you're doing everything you need to do to make sure that that's uh, being treated. That you have plenty of medications uh, for the next few months uh, to sort of uh, weather the storm. Mm-hmm. This is Southern Remedy, Dr. Jimmy with you live this morning, taking your calls. The number uh, to call, uh, as always, is 1-877-MPB-RING. That's one 672 7464 Or you can email us. We've probably uh, got a couple more calls to slide in. But if you have an email, please email us at MPbonline, oh, sorry, remedy at mpbonline.org. All right, Kevin, who we got next?
1: We have Phelps, who's called in from Mobile. Good morning, Phelps. You're on the air with us. Go ahead.
2: Uh, good morning. Thanks for taking my call. Sure. I've,
0: I've been diagnosed with Crohn's disease in 2015, and I'd like to know how important is diet uh, as a part of the uh, remedy to uh, this disease? I've, I'm under doctor's care, but I've never discussed with them anything about diet, so I'd, I'd like to get your opinion on that.
2: Sure. So Crohn's disease is an uh, autoimmune disease that affects your, your colon. Uh, so it is something that can, uh, well, your GI tract, uh, it can uh, affect anything from the mouth all the way to the anus. Uh, there's a lot of symptoms of that can be bloody diarrhea, weight loss. Uh, it is treatable. It's a chronic uh, medical condition that really isn't cured, but it is treatable through a number of medications that sort of modulate the immune system. So your question Phelps, about the the diet is important. A lot of people have uh, tried out. There's a lot of uh, a lot of things in the literature right now about diet. Usually, most uh, gastroenterologists are going to have access to a nutritionist uh, that can help you uh, choose what's going to be best for you, both with your disease diagnosis and with your lifestyle, some of the things that you like to eat, your your access to different types of foods, those kinds of things. So I would ask your your physician, your gastroenterologist, to say, uh, just ask them, hey, I'd like to talk to a nutritionist about what would be uh, best for me with Crohn's disease. So that, that would be what I would do uh, as a next step. Thank you. All right.
1: All right, uh, Phelps, thanks for your call. Uh, Dr. Jimmy, next we've got uh, V who is called in from Waynesboro. Good morning, V. Go ahead, please. Hi, V. You're on the air with us. Go ahead.
2: Are you there, B?
0: Yes, I'm. I'm here. Thank you. Would you speak about the benefits of houseplants? Um, I know that there's some literature that said children with asthma benefited, had lesser episodes, uh, asthmatic attacks, with houseplants in the room.
2: So, so there have I've seen a couple of studies about houseplants uh, being inside and then and asthma, particularly in kids. So, houseplants do uh, a lot of them have. Uh, you can put them in a laboratory. You can put all kinds of pollutants in the house, and they help to filter that out. So, uh, certain plants have higher transpiration rates, the, the amount of uh, of air that they have to take in uh, to uh, to filter those things out. I'm not aware of a whole lot of robust evidence in asthma. Um now there are some things that you have to be aware of, you know, if you have a lot of houseplants, they have to grow in soil. You might depending on the water content of that soil, you might actually be increasing the amount of mold that you have. So that's something to keep in mind. Uh but allergens inside the house and it, it might be best to talk to your to your uh you know, your child or, or the, whoever has asthma to their physician about this, in particular to an allergy immunologist or a pulmonary doctor, who are the two main doctors that that are experts in this area. Um, we know that there are a lot of allergens that set off uh, asthma in kids and adults. And a lot of those are things that may be in the home throughout the year. Those are household allergens uh, that that uh, dust mites that feed off the skin. it's sort of crazy to think about that and sort of uh, give you the willies. But um, but those are things that are in every house. You can certainly cut down on those by particularly in your bed, uh, by changing bed sheets frequently, by washing those with uh, uh, warm or hot water with, uh, with detergent. Um, there are covers that you can put on the bed uh, uh, to try to reduce the amount that somebody's coming into contact with uh, carpets and, uh, particularly high shag carpets are, are well known to increase symptoms and in asthma and allergic, uh, other allergic type symptoms in a house. So if you can, if you can modify your home and get rid of those and have wood floors, those are certainly better. Central air units are generally better than, um, as far as air conditioning, than, than window units. Again, just because of the, uh, the mold spores that can be there. We live in the South. Uh, though, and a lot of the the problems with mold, uh, it's going to be ubiquitous. Um, uh, A lot of the allergens that are seasonal, uh, right now we're having a lot of tree pollens and starting to see some grass pollens as well. In the summertime, you have your sort of your summer grasses, and then you have a late fall uh, grass season too. Uh, Patients that have increased uh, symptoms during those times, you want to try to avoid those as much as possible. And then trying to cut down on those allergy type symptoms, there's other medications that you can use, but houseplants uh, probably not going to do a whole lot because of those types of allergens. It really would help to know exactly what they're being uh, triggered by. So if they do have allergic type symptoms, testing for that might be important, and you know, in talking with an allergist. But uh, certainly, I got a lot of houseplants uh, in my home. Like like to have them there. Like to have some orchids there, too. Uh, But, um, you know, that's probably not going to cut down significantly on the allergens in the house or asthma symptoms.
1: All right, V, thanks for your call. Dr. Jimmy got about 30 seconds left. Could you give us a 30-second hand-washing primer?
2: 20 seconds is what you need. You need soap and water. It can be, uh, it doesn't have to be scalding hot. In fact, you can do more damage to your skin that way, but basically you want to wash your hands thoroughly. All surfaces of the hands. Don't forget anything that you have on your, your wrist, like watches too. Sometimes they can pick up different things and about 20 to 30 seconds is what you need of vigorous hand washing, making sure that you, uh, take precautions on turning off the faucet too. So what I do is I leave it running. I get a paper towel, dry my hands off, and use that to turn the faucet off. So that's a quick way to wash your hands correctly. I'm Dr. Jimmy Stewart. Thanks for listening to the original Southern Remedy Podcast. You can get your medical question answered by sending an email to remedy at mpbonline.org. For a regular dose of medical information, subscribe to the podcast using your favorite podcasting app. The doctor is always in on the original Southern Remedy. No matter if you use an app to start your car or still have a flip phone, everyday tech can decipher today's technology for tomorrow's solutions. Subscribe now to the podcast using any podcast app or the MPB public media app.